following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. title of this lecture is Self-Knowledge, The Door to Liberation from Suffering. Now, in the Gnostic tradition, we address many religions and faiths in order to arrive at a synthetic teaching. The core knowledge at the heart of every religion that provides us understanding about our innate and divine potential as well as how to overcome the afflictions of our mind and the negative uh, emotions of our heart, as well as many illnesses of the body. It is this connection with our divinity, which is our longed-for goal. It is this uh, connection with our internal divine intelligence, which different religions have given different names, whether Allah, whether Christ, Buddha, Ahura Mazda amongst the Zoroastrians. Many names. Uh, We seek to cultivate this knowledge of our internal divinity, our inner self. Today, uh, in the spirit of uh, teaching and synthesis of different religions and traditions, we're going to explain this path of self-knowledge in relation to Gnostic doctrine as well as the teachings of the Sufi initiates, the uh, initiates of the teachings of Islam. So even the the Muslim doctrine in its heart contains a profound esotericism, which is valuable to study. So we study Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, in synthesis to arrive at the core knowledge that is going to change us. So we're going to explain many teachings as given by the Middle Eastern initiates, the masters of Islam. So Islam is uh, Arabic for submission to God's will. And this is precisely what we seek to cultivate in this tradition, to submit ourselves to the will of our inner divinity, our inner being, 
known as Spirit Innermost Atman, known as our flame of Oreb that Moses saw on the mountain. So we have to understand what is this self we seek to understand in ourselves and in our inner psychology. Because many people, they affirm that they know themselves, that they know who they really are in their depth. If we generally examine this uh, concept, we will arrive at the understanding that this is a very elevated statement to make, that one knows oneself. We each have our own inner divinity, who is our true self. So when someone says, I know myself, I know who I am, and we ask them, well, do you know Christ, your inner flame, your inner logos, the Word? Have you awakened to your inner Buddha, nature, the light of Amitabha? Have you seen Allah and spoken to your inner God, just as we are here receiving a lecture, speaking face to face? like Moses did on Mount Sinai. Instead, many people will say, no, I, instead I am, this is my language, this is my name, this is the culture to which I was raised, these are my family, this is the language I speak. And we g- genuinely assume that this is really who we are. Ignoring that God is not isolated to one particular person or place, but is internal within each one of us. So this internal divinity is what we seek to activate. And when someone says, I know myself, really that is saying, I know who God is. I know my inner God within me. (coughs) And I have also, it would be saying that I have fully manifested my divinity within my psyche. So this is a statement given by many elevated initiates, not by common individuals. There was a Sufi master by the name of Mansur al-Halaj who, said, who was put in prison, tortured, and mutilated because he said amongst the, the Orthodox Muslims of the time, An al-Haq, I am the truth. And Hakikah, or An al-Haq, <coughs> is uh, one of the names of Allah, name given to divinity. Now, uh, of course, God's expressing through him said, I am the truth. It was not Mansur al-Halaj who said it. It was his inner divinity who spoke it. But many fanatics of religion and tradition, they do not understand these things, so they killed him. They tortured him and mutilated his body. So this is what we seek to be able to express in ourselves, the truth, our inner God. We have to understand that our being is really the most pure and divine treasure we possess within our interior. As it states in the the Muslim oral tradition, in the Hadith Qudsi, Allah says, I was a hidden treasure and I wished to be known. So I created creation, mankind, that made myself known to them and they recognized me. It also states in a very famous Sufi proverb, he who knows himself knows his Lord. 
If we are familiar with the Greek teachings of the Oracle of Delphi, man, know thyself, and you will know the universe and the gods. So if we really know ourselves, then it means that we know God. But if we don't know God, it means that we do not know ourselves in depth. We do not know really in in our genuine constitution, who are we? Who is our being? There are few who could say they know their being, their spirit, their inner God. And so we have to acknowledge this fact that we generally do not know divinity if we truly wish to unite with divinity. In this image, we have uh, the Prophet Muhammad with his uh, disciples. So these are initiates who are crowned with fire on their heads. So many saints and different pictures of uh, religious and sacred art depicts the masters having uh, halos of flame, whether in Buddhism as light or halos or in Christianity, in every tradition. It means that uh, the energy known as Christ, that fire or intelligence within our body, has been elevated up the spinal column to the brain. We call that force Kundalini. We call that force the Divine Mother Goddess who is within us. So the path that Jesus took as carrying the cross by working in a matrimony, since the cross is a symbol of a matrimony, he took that energy up the spinal medulla, up the via crucis, the path of suffering, to the brain, or the you could say Golgatha, which means place of the skull. And so, we have in every tradition this teaching, the elevation of our inner flame, our inner fire, our sacred intelligence known as Divine Mother, Kundalini, elevating up the spinal medulla and ascending very slow and laboriously to Golgatha. So this path of initiation, this path of the crucifixion, is precisely the path taught by Jesus and many other masters. So here we see the Sufi initiates who are illuminated with fire, meaning they're working with the cross. And so, uh, what's also interesting to note is that three of the initiates have that fire, that halo, but one of them does not. So it's indicating that there are levels and hierarchies amongst the disciples, how much self-knowledge these individuals possess and contain. So what's most important is this image of Prophet Muhammad who is wearing a veil. So in many sacred images of uh, Islam, we find that Muhammad is never usually depicted with his face. We always see a veil because God cannot be seen face to face. If we wish to uh, know divinity, we have to be humble like these initiates we see in this image. That refers to the veil of Isis in Egyptian teachings and Freemasonry. So the veil that woman, the burqa woman would wear was used to was traditionally only worn amongst the the wives of Prophet Muhammad, those who, who were close to his family. Now uh, that veil really represents for us our own ignorance. We do not see God because we are asleep as a soul, as a consciousness as psyche in the Greek myth. We do not know God 
because we do not uh, have consciousness of our divinity, meaning we are not in communication with our inner being. And we're going to explain how do we communicate with our God. But here in synthesis, we, we have this veil before our, our spiritual eyes. And when perceiving God directly, there is only force and fire. To look directly on that intelligence, on one's inner God, is to die completely. Not just physically, but meaning psychologically. Dying to one's impurities in the mind. So the path that Jesus taught with the cross, the illumination of the fire up the spinal medulla, to the brain represents for us the crucifixion of the mind, the death of one's psychological impurities, and the full purification of the soul in order to return to, to God. As, such as when the last words of Jesus, he says, It is finished. And uh, unto thy, my God, unto thy hands I commend my spirit. But that's going into the teachings of Kabbalah, the mystical science of Judaism. So this, uh, these initiates are bowing before this intelligence. The flame that Muhammad expressed in his uh, body and in his mind and heart. So we need to have this type of reverence and respect, which is the hallmark of uh, genuine communication and communion with our inner God. So he states uh, in the Hadith, the oral tradition, that uh, as given in Hadith Nawawi, verse 19, be mindful of Allah and you will find Him in front of you. Or be mindful of Buddha and He will be with you. Be mindful of Jehovah and He will be with you. Be mindful of Durga, your divine goddess, and Devi Kundalini, and she will be with you. Recognize and acknowledge Allah, God, in times of ease and prosperity, and He will remember you in times of adversity. So what does it mean to be mindful? It is to be remembering God, to pay attention. So with the practice we performed in the beginning, we are examining our mind, understanding that we are not our thoughts, we are not the emotions that constantly surge, pain, pleasure, like, dislike, that constantly fluctuate within our consciousness. Instead, we are something much more distinct. The soul is the capacity to perceive and it takes tremendous work to be able to cultivate this state moment by moment, here and now, excuse me. So be mindful of God, meaning remember your inner divinity here and now. Observe yourself. Be present. Pay attention. Because the truth is, we do not know how to be mindful. For if we were mindful, we would be aware of God within us here and now. So what does it mean to recognize and acknowledge Allah in times of ease and prosperity? And He will remember you in times of adversity. It means that when things are easy, we take our free time and we use it to cultivate the path of self-knowledge. We use our freedom and our luxury to practice meditation. And meditation is the foundational practice in this tradition. So if we have free time, but we don't meditate. God will not remember us when we need Him. Because if we take our free time and we use it for spiritual development, spiritual practices, then even in the most challenging circumstances, God will always be with us. 
Allah will be with you. Your being will be with you. But it requires sacrifice on our part not to indulge in fruitless activities like playing video games or uh, drinking alcohol, alcohol to excess. And so uh, it is by knowing ourselves and developing uh, knowledge of ourselves in meditation is how we are going to connect with God. In this next graphic, we have uh, an image of a mosque or a house of prayer. And we have a quote from uh, the Venerable Master Samael Onveor, who is the founder of the modern Gnostic tradition. He states, Knowledge and comprehension are different. Knowledge is of the mind. Comprehension is of the heart. So when we talk about self-knowledge, knowing ourselves, it doesn't mean reading books. It doesn't mean reading scripture. Knowing ourselves does not entail picking up any book or teaching and studying or receiving a lecture. Genuine spiritual knowledge is cognizance of one's own divine nature, one's intelligence. Knowing our internal psychological states as distinct entities in ourselves, pride, anger, vanity, laziness, what we call defects and ego. It is being able to differentiate here and now between our mind and our consciousness. Because the mind is the den of desire, we say. And desire is ego, desire, hatred, vanity, etc. The knowledge we seek is that of our internal states. But uh, according to this uh, teaching, knowledge is of the intellect, we can say. Book knowledge, scripture, writings, sacred books. But comprehension is something completely different. Comprehension is what we seek to develop in this science, to comprehend ourselves. Because the truth is we do not really comprehend ourselves. When anger arises and we speak hurtful words, we do not comprehend the damage that those words will cause. Instead, we usually receive the after effects where we have a conflict with a family member or a friend or a spouse. And problems emerge, frustration greater enmity, resentment. This shows that we don't comprehend ourselves. Because if we comprehended how damaging anger is, how cruel pride is, how sarcastic pride can be, uh, we don't really comprehend how damaging these effects are on the mind, on, on, on other human beings. And I'll give you a teaching by Prophet Muhammad. He said, the strongest man is one who can control his anger. So it's true that we all have that defect, but to comprehend that defect is to not uh, express it, not let it take over our mind and heart and our body. So there are many elements in our psychology that influence us that we are not even remotely aware of. So if we examine ourselves, we really don't comprehend who we are. But we have a lot of knowledge about who we are. It's true that we know our name, our birthplace, our age, our culture, our family. This is all intellectual. This is not uh, of the mind. 
Comprehension is what we seek to develop in the heart. Comprehension of our true self, of our inner divine flame. Prophet Muhammad said in the Hadith, the oral tradition, he said an hour of contemplation is better than a year of prayer. So we're going to explain uh, what contemplation is, meditation, which is the Arabic for mushahida, uh, in accordance with this lecture. So uh, even better than standing and performing salat five times a day, praying every moment of our life, it's better if we sit down and close our eyes in order to meditate, to really reflect on our inner psyche. What really causes us suffering? What are the causes of our problems, psychologically speaking? What in us creates such havoc or conflict with other human beings? What in us it creates confusion? and pain. So if we look at Buddhism, we find the Four Noble Truths. That in life there is suffering. Suffering has causes, the second truth. Third truth, there exists the cessation of the causes of suffering. And the fourth truth, there is a path, which we are explaining. So to comprehend ourselves is to, under, is to work on our defects so that we do not create suffering for ourselves and for others. The way that we cultivate this uh, path is by developing what we call being and knowledge. So we talk about self-knowledge, developing comprehension of our inner divinity, which is peace, which is joy, genuine love compassion for others, spiritual strength, faith, and the elimination of doubt. Do not think that by annihilating or comprehending and destroying our pride and anger that we're somehow going to be soulless people. In fact, by eliminating our defects in meditation, we develop soul. We develop consciousness. And therefore we develop the genuine qualities of God, which are virtues. This pertains to being. To be. Here and now. To be present. To not think about other things. To not compare what we're hearing to other things or debating in our mind uh, any phenomena that we come across. It means that we have an an open, spontaneous, and intuitive perception of life as it is, without artifice, without thinking about other things, without feeling other things, without being distracted. This is what it means to be. And it is the state of being which unites us to our being. Because our being is with us here and now, in this state, in this room, in our heart. Because Allah is a treasure that wishes to be known. But the problem is we don't know Him. We don't remember Him. We don't concentrate on Him in our heart. And we cease to not uh, fight against the distractions in our mind. I don't know when I'm engaged with the mind or when I'm engaged with the heart. I don't know the difference, don't know how to discern that. And I don't even know if I am at all engaged into the heart. That's a, good, that's a good concern. In the beginning, it's like that. Because it's an entirely new way of perceiving things. 
to self-observe oneself. As we did in the practice, we are observing our mind, our heart, and our body as a separate entity. We're looking at our mind and the thoughts as something different from us. We are perceiving the mind, but we are not the mind. We're perceiving the heart, but we are not the heart. Consciousness or soul is the ability to perceive things as they are in our psyche, in our internal states. Now, in the beginning, it's, it is exceptionally challenging to be able to d- discern between what is mind, what is heart, what is the body, what are sensations, what are instinct, what is movement, what is thought. And uh, the way that we develop that capacity to perceive and discriminate the internal phenomena of our psyche is through self-observation, to persist in that practice, not to remember ourselves for a little bit and then stop. Because it's a continuous path. Here and now, we're constantly initiating this observation of ourselves and our psyche. We need to be aware of our internal psychology on a moment-to-moment basis. Stay that way, stay in that? To always be present and never forget. It's, this is very difficult. And this is what jihad means. It doesn't mean fighting against some person who doesn't follow Islam. It means fighting against your anger and your pride and, and all these defects and all these things which keep you distracted from God. So, uh, If I had to think about some subject matter separate from God in the course of my daily activities, am I distracting from what I should be centered into? Yes, you could say in a manner of speaking. Now, the thing is... To take the time out to balance my paycheck because I'm doing something again. The thing is, and that's a good concern. Now, self-observation doesn't mean you're not able to do things. In the beginning, it's hard because it's disorienting. It's it's an entirely new skill we need to develop here and now. It's very challenging to learn. But when you begin to ride your bicycle, then you learn balance and you learn how to fulfill your daily obligations without forgetting your being. Are you saying certain thoughts come from the mind and certain ones from the heart, and it's important to know which ones are from where? We say a thought comes from an ego, and an ego manifests in, in the mind and the heart and the body. Now, uh, there's thoughts that come from, you could say, come from our ego, our own desires. But there are also, uh, like we said in another lecture, uh, thoughts that come from God, like a, a concept which emerges in our mind as a spark we immediately comprehend something in an instant. Because we're, learning, we're paying attention, we're not thinking about other things. Uh, the Sufis call that katir al-haq, true thoughts. So there are thoughts that can come from divinity. But typically, 97% of the thoughts we have are subjective and clouding our, our own perception of our mind as it is and knowing divinity as he is. So this pertains to being. Now... In terms of knowing, in terms of knowledge, we always balance being and knowledge. It's not enough just to be. We have to do our job, pay our bills, do our work. And if it's hard in the beginning, well, it it takes practice. Don't feel discouraged that this is something that you can't do because anyone can do this. It just takes a certain discipline and faith in your being. So uh, we state that being and knowledge need to be balanced. Our knowledge, our language, our culture, our customs, our job skills, things we need to do to survive. We need to balance that with our internal states, our being, remembering our divinity as a presence, as an alert state and novel perception of uh, our internal states. Now, um, 
Some island Vior states in the Great Rebellion the following quote, Being and knowledge must be balanced to establish a sudden blaze of comprehension within our psyche. When knowledge is greater than being, it creates all kinds of intellectual confusion. If being is greater than knowing, it, cr- it, can, it can produce cases as serious as that of a stupid saint. Now, if we simply read about spirituality, we read about astral projection, read about jinn states, jinn travel, reading about alchemy, reading about the nine sephiroth of the tree of life, the different states of consciousness and the, and the being. But if we don't actually experience these things, then it just remains as knowledge in our heart, in our mind, in our intellect. However, if we, don't, if we develop our being but we don't know how to pay bills, take care of our rent, uh, study certain skills for our profession to live in this physical world, then it, one can develop it as seriously as a case of a stupid saint. And uh, there was a, a Russian initiate by the name of Fyodor Dostoevsky who wrote uh, many famous novels, which people don't suspect is esoteric. He wrote a book called The Idiot, which talks about the, precisely this case of the stupid saint. Someone who has a lot of being and a lot of virtue, but he doesn't have the skills necessary to navigate the Russian 19th century Russian social world in which he did, he's in. And he gets in trouble. So I'd recommend, if you're interested, you can look into that. But we're not going to go too much into depth. So uh, in the beginning, when we begin to self-observe ourselves, to observe our internal states, Naturally, we, we are confused. We struggle. It's not easy to remember, constantly observe ourselves and remember uh, how our mind functions, how our heart functions. So it's, it's like riding a bike. And in the internal planes, in the superior worlds, if you ask a master, such as in the internal the dream state, if you awaken in that realm, you ask a master to show you, am I remembering myself well? If they come to you riding a bicycle, they're symbolically showing you, well, you're learning... You're learning to ride your bike. If you're falling off, it means you still you need to learn. So the way that we develop access to that state is by precisely learning in this physical plane, self-observation, remembering God here and now. We teach this diagram often, and I, it's something that we need to analyze. It's a cross. So we talk about the cross in these teachings as the representation of uh, the work in a matrimony. And we have that teaching available in books like The Perfect Matrimony by Samael and Vior. In this diagram, we have two lines, the horizontal path of life and the vertical path of the being. So precisely, knowledge pertains to life. We need certain skills and... uh, knowledge to be able to subsist in this jungle of concrete and iron, concrete and steel. We need, certain, uh, we need to study, go to college, or go to school to learn certain skills so that we know how to live in this world. It's essential. Many people, or most of humanity, simply develops the horizontal line. They think that they're going to perfect themselves by going to university, by getting a master's degree, by studying extensively and developing a a profession. 
But they ignore that in this instant, here and now, we have the vertical path of the being, which is perception of God. Life intersects and the being intersects in this instant. The Sufis call it wakt in Arabic, but we just simply call it the present moment. So it is here and now in which we have our being. It is not in the future, it is not in the past. This is something, it seems very simple and even kindergartenish, but the truth is this is something very profound and essential, whether for beginning students or for advanced students. We always have to remember where we are, what is going on in our mind, what is going on in our heart, what is going on in our body. Because these things teach us, uh, they teach us precisely what is our level of knowledge of ourselves? What is our self-knowledge? What is our knowledge of God? So on the left of the tree, on the line of uh, life, we have our birth. To the right, in the progression of time, we have family, school, marriage, family, friends, old age, death. None of that has anything to do with God. Because God is here. God does not look to the future or does not concern himself so much with things that have not happened yet. Although there is such things as prophecy to foretell future events, what God is most concerned with is, is how we connect with him in this moment. Who we are in this instant. We need to observe ourselves, not as something projecting thoughts in the mind in the future or thinking about the past. We have to, we have to, think, we have to be aware of who we are here and now. And it is the work of self-observation, observing ourselves and remembering the presence of our inner being, that is precisely the striving, the path of jihad, the path of war against our mind. So fighting desire is really what jihad is about. Because I, I believe it's in the hadith, uh, Muhammad was just returned from a battle with his companions. And he said, we leave the lesser holy war for the greater holy war. And they said, O oh, Muhammad, what is the lesser holy war? And he said, war against your oppressors. They said, O oh, Muhammad, what is the war? What is the greater holy war? And he said, war against your desires. So we don't, in those times it was different because uh, their life was in danger and the spreading of esotericism in that Middle East was in danger. So they needed to defend themselves, physically speaking. In these times, we don't condone bloodshed. It's, it's uh, unacceptable. And uh, precisely the path of uh, jihad, striving against one's desires, is how we um, benefit ourselves and humanity. We don't teach violence against others. The lesser holy war really is the expression of teaching the truth. Not killing other individuals in the name of Islam or, or Christianity or on a holy war. To wage war for others or against others is to teach by being a good example, being a good citizen, being a good person. This is the, this is the lesser holy war. But this greater holy war is precisely the striving we make moment by moment. Mushahidah, 
here and now to remember God. As uh, Al-Wasati states in a, probably the greatest Sufi scripture ever written, uh, Sufi manual, Risala al-Kuchariya. The best act of worship is watchfulness of the moments. That is, the servant not look beyond his limit, not contemplate anything other than his Lord, and not associate with anything other than his present moment or her present moment. Meaning, it means that whatever we're doing, don't think about other things. Don't compare, don't analyze, don't daydream. Don't <coughs> think other things than what you're doing. If you're driving your car, drive. If you're receiving a lecture, listen. Don't think. Just absorb. Listen. When you're cooking food, just cook. Don't think about other things. If we look at ourselves, we find that this is all we do all day. We, we're driving our car, we're thinking about family, we're talking on the phone, we're listening to music at the same time, doing all these things at once and not doing anything with attention. So the way that we develop attention is by not thinking about other things, just doing what we're doing here and now without concern for the future or the past. Just being mindful of our state here and now. And this is what it means not to contemplate anything other than our Lord. Because uh, the word for awareness in Arabic, we say, is muhadara. Uh, the Arabic word for presence is hudur. So they're intimately related. To be aware is to remember God, the presence of the being. The way they remember this presence of the being is by observing ourselves. And uh, cultivating this sense of humility and love towards our inner divinity. So many people ask us, what is self-remembering? We talk about self-observation, observing ourselves, but many don't understand what self-remembering is. So we talk about the need for self-observation, understanding ourselves, analyzing our thoughts, our emotions, our instincts, and our body without deliberating with the intellect, just observing. But to remember God means to feel the presence of our inner divinity with us. To feel that we are children of our being, that our being is with us here and now. No one can teach us that. That's something we have to develop on our own. The way that we develop this remembrance is by working throughout the day, excuse me, remembering our internal, analyzing our internal states without the intellect, but observing ourselves. And by learning to meditate. And remember that if we have a lot of ease and prosperity, we should use it to develop the practice of meditation. To develop our spirit within us. It states, uh, a Sufi master, Dual Nun al-Misri, stated the following. The key to success in worship lies in meditative reflection. Fikrat. Whoever persists in such reflection in the heart we behold the invisible realm in the spirit. So many people who want to have out-of-body experiences, astral travels, uh, any individual who wants to experience the true life, the higher dimensions, to speak with a master, to be awake in the dream state, in the internal planes, the way that leads us to that invisible realm, the spirit, is by learning to meditate, developing meditative reflection, now, we state in Buddhist terms that we need to develop stability of mind, and we also need to develop uh, special insight. 
Shamatha Vipassana, if you're familiar with the Buddhist teaching. Shamatha, stability of mind, is a state of being which is concentrated in which we don't get easily distracted by our mind. Now, there's levels of concentration, and we're going to be giving a lecture on that eventually. Now, we need to develop concentration by paying attention moment by moment throughout the day. Now, specifically, when we develop that concentration by paying attention in this moment, we are able to perceive things in a new way. That's where Vipassana comes in, special insight, perception of uh, the truth. So when the mind is serene and stable, we can receive uh, new insight, such as internal images and meditation or dream experiences. This is what meditative reflection means. So the Sufis, they call it fikrat, synthesized in the Buddhist teaching of uh, stability of mind and uh, perception of the truth. Because if the waters of your mind are unstable, they're constantly chaotic, you cannot reflect any image. But if the lake of the mind is peaceful and calm, then the stars of Urania, the Divine Mother, can reflect within you. So that's what meditative reflection is. The way that we get there is this. Whoever contemplates God through keeping watch over the thoughts which pass through the heart will be exalted by God in all of his outward deeds. So if we, learn, if we practice mukhasaba, self-observation in Arabic, practice this inner accounting of ourselves, taking account of what are our defects, what is uh, our habits, what are our customs, what are the things we do constantly. And we analyze this in, re- in conjunction with remembrance of the presence of God. We will become exalted by God in our actions. Now, uh, when we are connected with God, then He can bless us. But if we are distracted in our mind, if we choose not to follow the impetus of our being, then we in turn suffer. This is already a, a split of mind. I mean, I'm trying to focus on the moment. Then I've got to be reviewing my defects in the moment as well. So, simply observe. Meditation is when you analyze what happened in a day. We call that retrospection meditation. But that's retrospective. That's not in the moment. In the moment is we simply observe. But when we meditate later, we go back through our memory, what happened in the day. What did we observe factually? I do this. How come it hasn't gotten me anywhere? It takes, um, it could be a variety of factors. In one sense, we need to have stability of concentration in which the mind is settled and serene in which we can observe clearly. If we find that we're not able to perceive clearly what's going on in our psyche, it means we need to develop the faculty of uh, self-observation deeper. We call this faculty imagination, the capacity to perceive images. And we're going to explain this further. So the way that we develop our insight is precisely by developing serenity of mind, silence of mind. As we have in this image, a Sufi initiate praying and meditating. And we provided a quote again from uh, Al-Risala by Kushari. It is said, silence for the common people is with their tongues. Silence for the Gnostics is with their hearts. And silence for lovers is with restraining the stray thoughts that come to their innermost beings. So in the beginning, we learn not to speak, not to speak unnecessarily not to engage in conversations which are just fruitless. 
excuse me, fruitless, or uh, gossip. So we need to learn to restrain our tongue from engaging in speech that is frivolous. And uh, frivolous speech is one of the ten sins of Buddhism. To speak without thinking about what we're saying and what we're doing. Swami Shivananda stated that many disciples suffer the disease of the diarrhea of the tongue in which they constantly speak without understanding what they're saying or what they're doing. They just speak because they want to talk. And uh, Khalil Gibran, a Sufi uh, Christian mystic, author of The Prophet, gave a very beautiful teaching on that. I recommend you read it. Now, silence for the Gnostics is with our hearts, meaning a Gnostic is someone who is developing serenity of heart, who is uh, not even engaged in negative emotions in the heart. Now, most of us are not at that degree, at that point. But we can experience states here and now if we're working in self-observation. Silence for the lovers is by restraining the thoughts that come to our mind, our innermost being. Someone who really loves God will not even allow a single thought to enter the mind and let it control oneself. But that takes tremendous skill. The way that we get there is by cultivating serenity and self-observation. Now, self-observation is uh, called different names in the Sufi tradition. Um, it's taught in many different ways. Now, in this image, we have a, a, a Muslim on a minaret making a call to prayer. And uh, traditionally, in the originally in the faith of Islam, praying five times a day was a tremendous, uh, uh, tremendous discipline. If we really know how to pray five times a day consciously, then we can receive tremendous benefit. But people nowadays, they just pray mechanically, oh my God, or God, please give me a good car, family, spouse, and they think, and that's it. They, they do it in a mechanical manner. But to be conscious of one's heart and, and as one is praying to God is something very distinct. And so, to, so the initiates of the, in the Middle East, they were instructed by Muhammad to pray constantly to develop the heart. Now, um, comes to my mind, I'm thinking of uh, uh, teaching of Prophet Muhammad. Actually, it escapes my mind. But basically, in, ta- in terms of self-observation, uh, praying five times a day was a means of cultivating self-remembrance. And you, you, we know that when the sun rises, they pray during su- uh, in the morning, afternoon, mid-afternoon, early evening and evening. Five represents the pentagram, the human being made into the image of God. And so uh, praying, praying, you know, praying in that manner was, was in order to cultivate self-remembrance. It wasn't just to go to a mosque and pray mechanically without knowledge of what one is saying. Because I believe there was a saying in, uh, by Shakespeare in his play Hamlet. He said uh, regarding the, the character Claudius representing the ego, he committed a murder in the play. He says, My thoughts, my words fly up to heaven, my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. So if you're not concentrated, you can pray, say as many words as you want, it will not get to God. But if you're humble and sincere, that is how you connect with your being. So vigilance is, is a con- the best form of prayer is vigilance, to be aware. As stated in all Kushari's al-Risala, treaties of, treaties of Sufism. 
Al-Jurari said that whoever does not establish awe of duty and vigilance in his relationship to God will not arrive at disclosure of the unseen or contemplation, mushahida, of the divine. So what does it mean to establish awe of duty? To really respect the fact that we need to self-observe constantly. We can't forget our being in any instant. We have to remember our being in this moment always. To have awe of duty is to really comprehend. If I fall asleep at the wheel of my car, my physical body, I can make many mistakes and cause damage. So if we don't know how to control our mind, we will end up in great uh, suffering. We could say we can get into a conversation with a friend and make conflicts or at work. Whatever our particular circumstances are, we need to establish all of duty to really respect the fact and to understand that if we don't observe ourselves, we could drive off the cliff. I mean, even physically, people who don't pay attention to their car, they, get, they can get killed. More so spiritually speaking. If we don't remember our God, then our, the being will withdraw and we will fall down into the infrared dimensions known as hell in different religions. Now, we also need to establish vigilance of God in our relationship to God. To always be aware of that presence. In order to arrive at disclosure, meaning spiritual experience, to really know God directly. And to arrive at contemplation of the divine. Now, the Arabic word is mushakida. And uh, the word contemplation relates, relates to uh, the shahida, which is one of the pillars of Islam. They call it the confession of faith, where they say, Allah is Allah and Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. Many Muslim, millions of Muslims, they say, La ilaha illa Allah, Muhammadun Rasul Allah, but they don't really, they never experience Allah in meditation. They don't contemplate God in practice. They just say it mechanically and think, now, okay, now you're a Muslim. That's not the meaning of it. The real meaning is for us who are studying holistically these different teachings is that in order to arrive, to really give testimony of Allah, we need to meditate. Because in order to say the shahida, we need to practice mushahida, which is meditation. Because if we don't really know God for ourselves in, in, our, in spiritual experience directly, we can't say that God is God and Muhammad is the prophet of Allah or Krishna is the prophet of Allah or Samael and Vyor is the prophet of Allah. Many prophets, one being, one God, one uh, absolute divinity. So we have here in the next graphic uh, explaining the different states of consciousness. So we're, we're speaking in synthesis about being objectively perceptive and awake or being hypnotized and identified with our mind. So in this teaching, we talk about four states of consciousness. Self-remembrance uh, pertains to the third state of consciousness known as dianoia. But we're going to explain it didactically. It, we use Greek terms to refer to these states of our perception. Ikasia is the first state of consciousness and pertains to a profound state of psychological sleep. Pertains to uh, being identified with our mind, with anger, with pride, with vanity, with ego, with our defects, and having no inclination or presence of God at all. 
What's interesting about the Greek term ikasia, it comes from the Greek word ikonon, which means images. Ikasia means uh, imagination. Now, we just mentioned that the faculty of self-observation is imagination. But we have to understand that perception is dual. It can be objective uh, in harmony with God, or it can be subjective, filtered by our own mind and our perceptions of our defects. Now, um, it's true that we here in this physical body, we, we see images, ikonon. We have a type of imagination to be able to perceive physically. We have a certain level of perception. But it doesn't mean that we are, excuse me, that we are uh, cognizant of what we are perceiving. Many times we see, we see things, but we don't comprehend what we see. And this is our fundamental problem. We receive the impressions of life. They enter our mind. Our mind filters it and labels it with the intellect, with thoughts, daydreams, occupations, constantly projecting outward into the screen of life and never learning to be receptive and receiving. So we perceive life. We have imagery. We perceive uh, psychologically. But we don't comprehend what it is we are seeing directly. So uh, the next state of consciousness we call pistis, which means belief. Translates as also faith, but we say it in this tradition, that's an erroneous translation, because beliefs are of the mind. Faith is direct cognizance of the truth, to really know something directly. So many people, they talk about beliefs, they don't understand that, well, really what they're talking about, they say, they're, they, say they have faith, but really what they mean is they have a lot of beliefs, because they've never verified what the scriptures taught. They never traveled out of the body or had a samadhi in meditation, a mystical ecstasy or experience. So, pistis comes from pisteo, to trust, to have confidence, faithfulness, to be reliable, to assure. Pistis is the second state of consciousness and pertains to beliefs, concepts in the intellect. Anything we read that we have not verified through experience precisely is pistis. So all the thousands of philosophical schools, all the people who follow a religion or teaching, but who have never verified what the teachings entail through direct experience, they have pistis. They have not experienced what these different religions are teaching. So humanity constantly fluctuates between ikasia and pistis. Ikasia is barbarism, war, violence, bloodshed, anger, sarcasm, all of the most uh, degenerated form and depraved forms of consciousness within humanity. Pistis refers to all the beliefs and schools that pertain to uh, the different concepts people have about God, religion, and ourselves. What transcends that is the third state of consciousness, known as uh, dianoia. Dianoia, we say, is the revision of belief. It also means imagination directly. So notice that we have akasia, which means imagination. But that we also have dianoia, which means imagination. So there's a dual way to perceive life. We can perceive it with our mind, with our ego, or we can perceive it objectively with our being. Dianoia also means thought, mind, perception, 
the word daya uh, means thoroughly from side to side, which intensifies noyo, meaning mind or noose. So dianoia means to change your mind, to revise your mind the way it is as, as a common or current state that we have. So uh, dianoia, we said, is revision of beliefs, cultural, spiritual, intellectual synthesis, profound study of scripture with direct experience of what the scriptures entail. Refers to profound meditative analysis, cognizance of the truth, excuse me, and direct perception of one's internal states. So many of us, we have pistis. We, we have certain concepts about who we are, our beliefs, our identity. And when we begin to self-observe ourselves, we realize that we are not who we thought we were. We change our concepts about ourselves. We change our beliefs. We revise them. We develop a new type of analysis and understanding, which is awakened perception, dianoia, cognizance of uh, the truths. But dianoia is not the end. We have nous, which means mind, intellect, and intelligence. Now these Greek terms were used by Plato, and you can study the Republic, such as the Allegory of the Cave, which explains in synthesis these four states of consciousness. And we've explained in different lectures about the meaning of this. Um, But nous pertains to consciousness that is united with Christ, united with our inner divinity, it means that we've, exp- we've escaped the bottle of the mind in meditation. And as a consciousness, we've united with our being. In that type of perception, there is no delusion. There is no, uh, there is no misperception of uh, our internal psyche. Noose pertains to having fully united with uh, our being and that we have the consciousness of our being in which the being can express through us. This is known as samadhi in the East. It's known as ecstasy, in the, or extatuo in Latin. Ecstasy means uh, uh, to stand outside oneself. Ex statuo. Ex means to be aside. Statuo means to stand. It means that we escape the subjective imprisonment of our mind in order to subsist as God or to unite with God. Of course, this is very elevated, and to fully develop this is to walk the path completely. But in meditation, we can activate those states through if we're persistent. In this next graphic, we talk about the, or we show the image of the tree of life, the Hebraic Kabbalah, which is a mystical science of Judaism. And as a graphic, we use it to demonstrate the different states of consciousness, matter, energy, and being. And the highest levels, most rarefied states of consciousness to the most dense. So we use this diagram to study any religion, whether Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, because it teaches us the structure of the human being and the soul as well as the universe. There's a saying by a Sufi initiate, his name is Abu Sa'id. He stated in Ibn Munawar, wherever the delusion of your selfhood appears, there's hell. Wherever you aren't, that's heaven. So this is very clear. If we are here, if we are uh, identified with our mind, 
we cannot experience the tree of life. Because heaven is the tree of life. This diagram. If we do not uh, remember God, we cannot escape or stand outside ourselves, our, our uh, egotistical mentality. Now, uh, wherever the ego isn't, meaning we're revising our mind through dianoia, standing outside ourselves to analyze who we are, then by escaping from our, the limitations of our mind, we in turn can unite with Christ, unite with our internal divinity. So that's heaven. Heaven is where we aren't. So if we say we know ourselves, but we don't know God, it means that we really don't know ourselves and that we're very ignorant. So in order to, to be, to ascend the tree of life, we need to learn the science, meditating, and working with the, what we call the three factors for the revolution of the consciousness. Here we have an image of uh, Muhammad riding a mystical creature. This is known as the Al-Miraj, uh, the ascension of the Prophet Muhammad up to seven heavens. In Islam, they talk about seven heavens or seven dimensions. But we also talk about um, nine heavens and Kabbalah. So they may seem different, but they're really the same teaching. Just different ways of expressing the same uh, science. So in the myth, um, and I use the term myth in the sense not as a made-up story, but as an allegorical and scientific teaching. We have uh, Muhammad was meditating on the, in the mosque of Mecca with his head. Some traditions may even state that his head was on the stone of Mecca, like in Jacob's uh, ladder. Now the Kaaba is the cubic stone of the Freemasons. And the Kaaba is a black stone pertaining to um, the vital energies of our body. It's where the serpent divine mother Kundalini sleeps. We call this the sexual energy. And so this stone, he was, Muhammad was said was sleeping by this stone and he had an experience in which he was taken on a mystical creature known as Al-Burak, which in Arabic translates as lightning. And this creature is uh, said to have the size of a mule, the face of a woman, the tail of a peacock, and the wings like Pegasus. So Barak, lightning, refers to the power, creative power of the Divine Mother, Kundalini. Because lightning in Nordic is the rune Sig, and the sacred mantra of the Divine Mother is Sulu Sigi Sig in, Nord- in Nordic. So she is that power of lightning in our body, this, our stone and our sexuality, which we know how to harness and use uh, through alchemy and meditation. We can ascend up the seven heavens like Muhammad. So he was taken on this creature from Mashid al-Mecca, uh, the, the mosque of Mecca, to Mashid al-Haram, the temple of Jerusalem. And it was there in which he uh, ascended up the seven heavens and received many sacred teachings uh, pertinent to Islam, but also to uh, Gnosticism. So this energy, this creative power of God, uh, we even see he's surrounded by flames, the fire of uh, the Divine Mother, the sexual creative power of God, and that illuminated his psyche. So in conjunction with meditation and self-observation, we uh, cultivate a serene state, and work with the energies of our body. Now, uh, in order to ascend up these heavens, we need to be completely absent from our 
common egotistical sense of self. So we're saying this in a very Zen way. It doesn't mean that we forget ourselves and not pay attention. It means that we abandon our common and current psychology by learning to pay attention. Observe yourself. Observe the mind. Do not identify with any impression outside you or inside your mind and your heart. For as it states in Al-Risala again, in general it is to the measure of one's alienation from one's own ego that one attains direct knowledge of one's Lord. So knowledge, again in Greek, is gnosis, and in Arabic is marifah. The Kabbalists call this da'at. So I didn't mention this at the beginning, but uh, just different words for the same teaching. Now, uh, it continues. I heard Abu Ali al-Dakak say, one of the tokens of the gnosis of God is the achievement of deep awe and reverence for God. If someone's realization increases, his awe increases. So the more that we remember God, the, the more respect and terror and love we have for the being, for that, for that energy, which is overwhelming, overpowering, if we know how to obey the will of our God. And I heard him say, uh, Gnosis requires stillness of heart, just as learning requires outward quiet. If someone's gnosis increases, his tranquility increases. So the deeper we understand our being, the deeper we go into our meditation, the more gnosis we develop in ourselves, excuse me, the more peace we have, the more serenity we have in our consciousness and our, in our being. And so, uh, again, um, this path... Um, is the path of peace. So we talk about jihad, striving. The way that we attain to uh, peace is by fighting against our desires and uh, practicing mushahida, which is contemplation and meditation. It states, uh, there's a saying by Ibn Karbala'i in his uh, Raldat al-Janan. When the seeker realizes the station of contemplation, Mushahida, which is witnessing God's essence, comprehending and encompassing all phenomena, meaning we're understanding that God is within everything in this moment. If we're actually perceiving this fact, we're not projecting with our mind, we're not thinking about other things, but we are aware of how God is present with us. Does not your Lord suffice, since He is witness over all things? Surah 41, verse 53. So by witnessing God's essence and understanding the fact that does not your Lord suffice, he is, for He is witness over all things. He continually witnesses lights from the mundus invisibilis, the invisible world. So what are these lights? In meditation, it can be imagery, it can be symbols, it can be spiritual experiences. More uh, directly, we could say it pertains to insight about our psyche and our intelligence, who we are in this instant. Now, uh, to continuously witness lights is to, is to receive insight from your being, which you receive in this moment by learning to pay attention. From such a mystic's perspective, this world and the hereafter are one and the same. This can only be realized by a vision that is all heart and spirit, not a view bound by mere mud and mire. 
So what? It, so again, we're talking about two types of vision: dianoia and nous, which is objective, imagination or perception of the truth, cognizance of God, or subjective, meaning of the mud and mire of our mind, filtered by our own uh, ego. So uh, mushahida again as we were explaining, is the testimony of faith amongst, Islam, in the, amongst the Muslims. So in order to really give testimony of God, we need to know God. We need to have that experience in our own uh, psyche, in our own uh, consciousness. The last graphic we have is the image of the tree of life and the human being. So the human being is the tree of life. As stated in the previous uh, slide, we have this statement. From this mystic's perspective, this world and the hereafter are one and the same. This means that this tree of life is not just uh, some abstract concept to argue or debate about. It's something entirely practical and directly relatable to us here and now. This world is our physical body, which is the image on the right. The hereafter is the tree of life. So they're really one and the same. So the tree of life, we'll explain in brief, is the map of the human psyche, the different levels of the being. And on the right, we have the image of the human being with uh, what we call the five centers, (coughs) excuse me, the five centers of our psychology. So on the right, this image... uh, We have uh, five centers or five, um, we could say, cylinders of the human machine. So as we say that the body is a machine that transforms matter and energy. Likewise, our psyche is a machine. Typically that one that is not controlled and governed by God because we don't remember our being. In the head, we have the intellectual center. We say intellectual brain. A brain, we say in uh, Gnostic psychology, pertains to a center of action in which energies and matter can be processed, whether physically through biochemistry or uh, psychologically through mental energies. We have the emotional center or emotional brain relating to the process of, uh, excuse me, of uh, emotion, like, dislike, pleasure, pain, love, hate, etc. At the top of the spine, we have the motor center, which is how we process movement. So if we're really paying attention, we can see that a lot of our impetus to move physically comes from the top of the spine and explains why individuals who are uh, injured in the spine are paralyzed, because the motor center cannot function. Which particular vertebra was that? There was a critical vertebra above or below which... I don't, I don't know, but I'm, I'll look into that. Yes, and I remember that too. There's a, it's a critical, it's a vertebra that connects the, you can say the bottom of the, you can say the medulla oblongata with uh, the rest of the spine near the nape of the neck. It's a critical juncture, critical spot. It's where we have our motor center. Some guy I was talking to who used to work as a prison guard told me that when they make shinks by grinding a card card on the concrete to make a shelf edge, they would try to cut guards exactly at that place. Yeah, exactly, because it's a very sensitive spot. We also have a center of instinct, which is the base of the spine. 
which is uh, the sacral bone or the sacral center. Uh, individuals who are engaged in such as activities like boxing overuse this center where they constantly react. So the instinctual center is like, uh, say, if you burn your hand on a stove, you immediately retract your hand before you even think that hurt and feel hurt or upset because the instinctual center operates faster than the intellect or the or on par with the heart, we could say. We also have uh, the sexual center went into our sexual organs, which is the fastest operating uh, component of our psyche. Sexual energy is the basis of all human life and also all spiritual life, as we explained in other lectures. And uh, the power of God, al-Barak, the lightning of Christ, the Divine Mother Kundalini, is precisely in the sexual center. The, uh, and when we know how to work with that force through uh, mantra, through pranayama, through alchemy, we learn to... Uh, develop that within us. So we observe ourselves precisely through these centers. Every defect, every ego has its own think- thoughts, its own ways of feeling, its own ways of acting. They all have different types of movement. So, uh, they all have their different types of, uh, maybe they're maybe instinctual egos, very uh, spontaneous and abrupt, such as if you put your hand on the stove and you, you react immediately. There's an ego involved. But also, uh, if we learn to become conscious, we won't put our hand in the fire in the first place. So, um, the thing is, uh, as I said, the ego uses the the different centers all at once. Some egos may have a predominance towards the intellect. Some may be more emotional. Some may be more instinctual. Some may be uh, sexual. But every ego uses each, each of the three brains in any instant. But there tends to be a predominance within the different centers. Just to make sure I got it right. This thing about the accidentally touching the stove and uh, pulling back from it before even thinking. So that's not that's not some built-in protection device doing it. From that's it? our instinct. This is ego doing it. Or that's what? our instinct. Uh, we could say that typically we react with ego, but if you become conscious, you learn to respond to situations. So there, it, it's even quicker. You could say. Uh, typically, we react with uh, the mind or with instinct or or the mo- or movement. But when you're conscious, uh, in many cases, you won't even get involved in a situation like that, like putting your hand on the stove. But at the same time, you learn to, uh, you are more responsive. So don't think that by eliminating instinct that one doesn't have uh, the ability to react. It's better to say we, we develop the capacity to respond to any situation without uh, any subjective interference from our mind. So... Different egos manifest in different centers with greater predominance towards one center or the other. Now, uh, on the left, we have the tree of life, which is the human being in synthesis. Um, at the top of the tree of life, we have the three sephiroth, or spheres, known as Keter, Chokmah, and Binah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, in Islam, this is Allah, because the Trinity is one thing. Now, many Muslims Orthodox of the Orthodox tradition they emphasize that there is no trinity and that Muhammad never taught the trinity. But he did teach uh, in a very, he taught in a very different manner, not in accordance with the, the degeneration of the Christian scriptures in the sense that many people thought the trinity is, is actually a physical father, son, and Holy Spirit, physical individuals, and not uh, spiritual uh, principles. Now, uh, Allah is uh, 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Keter, Chokmah, Bina. It is God, the Christ, which are three forces in one. Beneath we have on the right, in the middle of the right pillar, we have Chesed, which is our spirit, which is God. So our own individual Father, our own inner God, is also part of Allah, the Christ. We say Allah as actually also Chesed as well, the spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the spirit, the innermost, the inner Buddha, which is our spirit. The inner Buddha is uh, Chesed? Yes. And uh, that's the inner being. It's the inner being. Well, the being even has uh, his being too, which is uh, the Christ above. Is this what psychologists in a secular way tried to call the inner child? They call the inner child uh, uh, the we we in Gnostic terms we say our inner child is our essence, our soul. Uh, We call the soul that is in development as a as a baby. An infant that can become a true human being, like the tree of life, is a child. Christ also is a child when the Christ manifests in the initiate for the first time. But then that child grows and develops. So the inner child, we say, uh, pertaining to uh, Gnostic psychology, is our essence. But also refers to the Christ child. But that's not Chesed, is it? No, Chesed is not the child. Chesed is the spirit, which is in Hebrew, El similar to Allah. So, the same roots there. So, Allah, we could say, is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Chesed. So, these are, we represent them as ten spheres, which seem distinct, but when they're fully developed within the human being, they're integrated. Rumi, the great Sufi master, stated that when you look at ten lamps and their lights are all shining, you can't make up the difference between them. So, is the case with the the fully illuminated masters who've developed Christ within. Now, uh, to the left we have uh, Geburah, which is the consciousness, the divine soul. In the middle we have Tifereth, which is the human soul or willpower. And then beneath that we have what we call the lower quaternary, which is, uh, excuse me, a representation of our, uh, we say, Netzach, our mind, Hod, our emotions, Yesod, our sexuality, our vital energy, and Malkut, our physical body. So comparing this with the human being, the intellectual center relates to Netzach, the mind. We say Hod, the astral body, relates to the heart, the emotional center, or emotional brain. We have Yesod relating to our... Uh, vital body, our vital energies. And uh, that pertains to uh, also the life of our physical body. And our body is Malkut. But in synthesis, the tree of life explains for us who we are as, as a, in a totality as a human being, as a consciousness, as a psyche. But we also study ourselves in terms of our three brains and analyzing our, our makeup how we function. The work now comes into play when we observe the intellectual center, the emotional center, the motor, inst- instinctive, and, uh, the motor instinctive and sexual centers all at once. So by understanding these centers and how the ego operates is how we comprehend ourselves. And then in the meditation, we beg our Divine Mother, our Inner Father, to help us comprehend ourselves in depth.
So it begins by learning to pay attention to this instant, in this moment. So to conclude, the path of self-knowledge is one in which we uh, develop God within. We do that precisely by working on our defects. And we'll explain in other lectures uh, the path of retrospective meditation and how we work on our defects. But it all begins by paying attention here and now to this instant. Do you have any questions? Probably gonna come out the wrong way, but there has been no other religion whose very name stirs terror in me when I see the hate that they're full of today. Right. Out of all the religions that have gone wrong in some way, they are the only ones who one who think that they have to kill anyone who is of their faith who converts to another. And they're the only ones in whose book it's written that uh, they have to go kill Christians. And yet, you meet one of them, oh, we are the religion of peace, we are the religion of... What about this murder in your freaking book? So, uh, I mean, I'm very... Uh, so, sadly, the exoteric <laughs> tradition of Islam has degenerated, just as Christianity and Buddhism and many traditions have degenerated. Here we're speaking about the esoteric heart of the tradition. Oh. Now, the teaching of jihad, or striving, mujahida, is uh, about killing one's own infidels in the mind. So that to kill an infidel is really to kill anger, pride, vanity, lust, laziness. So here we're not teaching the public doctrine given to many Muslims. Let's go over there and fix some of that. Let's go. <laughs> and so um, we uh, study the esoteric teaching of Islam, which is very sacred. We have to understand that all religions are sacred. And that Islam has its place within humanity. But sadly, as, a, as an exoteric tradition, as a faith, it is degenerated. Here we're explaining really the heart, the core, that the blood of the teachings of Muhammad, which is very sacred. Um, oh, go ahead. No, you were first. I was wondering how different cultures, different philosophies, how they describe. I wonder if they're the same. Samayel and Bayard, we have the inner being. Rudolf Steiner said there is a much wiser man inside. I'm wondering, and he was an adept also. Yes. Does, was he referring to the same inner being as this much wiser man inside or woman? Yes, because uh, Paul of Tarsus in the Christian gospel refers to the two men, the heavenly man and the terrestrial man. The terrestrial man is precisely, we could say, uh, Tifereth, willpower, Netzach, the mind, Chod, the astral body, the emotions, Yesod, our vitality and our physicality. The heavenly man is God above, which is our consciousness, our spirit, and Christ. That's he meant the wiser man. Now, another philosopher here again, Carlos Castaneda, his teacher, Don Juan, said, you know, I, I, he would, I think I gave you the, the article on that, if you look that over. And he said the mind you know, is, is, is a foreign installation. In other words, that's the problem we have our minds. But he said, he said, when you it could be quite an experience when you refer to the true mind. Would, would you think that that might be related to the inner being, that his own... True mind, we say, is noose. It's uh, a type of mind that is united with God, with uh, the Christ force. Uh, now, with uh, noose, 
uh, there's levels, we could say, as according to the tree of life. Dianoia, we could say, pertains to Malkut and the Sefer up to Tifereth. It's a type of consciousness in which we are beginning to awaken. Now, fully illuminated spiritual perception, we say, pertains to the higher five Sephiroth of the tree of life. We could say, news pertains to the divine soul, which is God, part of God. And the spirit, to the right, Chesed, Gebruah, the consciousness, Chesed, and then Keter, Chokmah, Mina, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, um, we have to remember that uh, God does not enter into impurity. God is not impure. Only the human soul, our willpower, which can either obey God or fall down and obey our ego, is uh, what is impure. So we are really part of Tifereth within the different bodies, we could say, different spheres of, of being and of consciousness. Now, our will can either follow our own self-will or we can follow the will of uh, God, which is our innermost, our divine soul, and the Christ above. So noose pertains to illuminated perception, which is to either experience Geburah or we can even experience states of, uh, of a chesed, which are described such as books like Terran Kabbalah by Samael and Vior, and uh, Christ above, or even beyond the tree of life, which is the absolute. That it pertains to noose as well. Are there any questions? A lot of different, I think Master Samael's books and like Shivananda's books all talk about mantralizing like throughout the day. Right. But, and I feel more aware when I do that, but then at the same time, like you are doing something else while you're doing something. Yes, and uh, that's a good question, good concern. Now, the thing is, when you do a mantra in your mind while you're doing an activity, that's to help you stay concentrated. Okay. Now, typically, uh, when we work with mantra, and the word mantra in Sanskrit means mind protection. It means to, it's a main that we can use to control our mind. If it's being uh, out of control or if, it's, if we have a certain, uh, maybe we had a certain event in our life that was catastrophic and we needed to calm down, we can use a mantra to concentrate and to remember our being. So we use mantras to help us stay focused. Now a mantra should help to, when it's done, a, when it's done consciously, it helps you stay extremely focused. Now, typically our problem is that when we work with a mantra, we do it mechanically. And the thing is, you find, you'll find your ego, want it, you, if you observe yourself and you see your ego saying, Klim, Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gopijana, Vallabhaya, Swaha, and, it, it reason, no, and then you tell your mind, no, that's not how you do it. And then you, you do it again, Klim, Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gopijana, Vallabhaya, Swaha. So it's many mantras we use in this, uh, in this tradition. Now, we don't want to do it uh, things... Uh, mechanically. Yeah. Now, um, if you do it with concentration and uh, remembrance of God, it'll help you focus on your uh, states and help you be present. And do you agree Shivananda teaches, or unless this is just how it's been interpreted, but he teaches that you choose one mantra for life and that is like your mantra forever? Do you, I don't know what Master Samuel says about that. There's a, well, the thing is, with Shivananda, I like, I like his thinking because when you choose a mantra for life, it means that you're going to be completely dedicated to the practice. Now, I agree and I, I believe what he's saying is you, know, you should stick with a mantra to the point that you are really enga- fully immersed and engaged with it and not distracted with other things. So instead of just doing one mantra one day and then a mantra another day. Yeah. 
So the thing is, uh, I mean, we have hundreds of mantras in this tradition, mm-hmm. let alone Buddhism, Islam, and Christianity, and etc. Now, the thing is, um, we have so many mantras. And the thing is, to use a mantra till you get benefits and it works for you, but if you find that you have different needs emerge, it's good to switch up if you need to. Okay. Now, Shiv- I, now, Shivananda, is a, he's a great, he's a resurrected master. Yeah. He's a fully illuminated being. And uh, he was teaching more in the accordance of the Piscean tradition, uh, which is the astrological sign associated with the times of Jesus up to uh, um, the 1950s or 1960s. Excuse me. Now, uh, the age of Aquarius is very different. We have different needs. Um, so I'd say that if you have, uh, which is a different uh, astrological sign pertaining to a uh, different type of spiritual evolution. So I recommend that if you work with a mantra, stick with it to the point where you feel like you're getting a lot of benefit and a lot of results. And uh, if you feel like you have different needs emerge, then switch it up if you need to. Okay. Don't feel that you have to stick with one. But Shivananda is right. We should, when we do a mantra, we should dedicate everything to it and not get distracted or think of other things. Yeah. So in a lot of Samuel's books, um, you know, he talks about the mantras and he says that you should vocalize like an hour a day at least. Yes. Now, does that mean like, so say I want to clear like all my energy centers, does that mean that I have to specifically like focus on like either my pineal gland and use the word E or E for your throat? You can. You can, you can work with uh, all the chakras. You can work with a few. Now, different mantras have different benefits and different effects. Now, you may find that you need to, uh, you want to develop your clairvoyance. So work with INRI, the vowel E. You can do INRI, related to uh, Christ. You can do, uh, actually, is in the book The Perfect Matrimony, you can do a series of mantras. INRI for the brain, for the pineal gland and the uh, chakra sahasrara, and the crown, the crown chakra. Enre in the throat. So enre. You have the heart. On. Ro. You have the solar plexus. Un. Ru. And uh, you have the lungs. An. Ra. You can also, you can, you can work with many chakras. You can work with a few. Or one in particular, like the heart, you can do Om Masi Padme Yum, and we have it's available in the books, especially the perfect matrimony. Uh, so the thing is, if you if you vocalize for an hour, you can do it with all the chakras. You can do it with just a few. It depends on your needs. You gotta intuitively discern what is it your being wants you to, to focus on and develop. Okay, and right, now, um, like, should I uh, should I first get into like a meditative state, like maybe like a good 15, 20 minutes, and then vocalize? I would say relax completely. So if it takes you 10 minutes to relax, do so. Now, typically in the beginning, you want to relax your body to the point where you're semi-drowsy or you're able to, you feel like you're going to fall asleep. And so, you get, so when you feel yourself getting to that point, work with a mantra. And that'll stimulate a lot of psychic energy in your, in your body, in your, in your mind. Yeah, I've noticed because I've tried doing a couple mantras when I try astral projecting. Um, one was like, it was like, something on yeah on yeah. and i tried that one one time and my body like shook completely when i was like you know i woke up and i was paralyzed and then like i was vocalizing the mantra and my body just like kept shaking and i was like you know i was like oh my god i'm about to like get out but right. like there's always something that's like i feel like i have a blockage that's like stopping me from like astral projecting so for instance i'm laying in bed 
and like I can feel like my astral legs like get to like the bottom of the floor, but like my body's still like stuck on my bed. Sure. And like I thought there's some sort of blockage. And, like, I've experienced that many times, and usually it's a teaching from your being, telling you that you you're identify with something, you are identify with your body. If you find that you can't you can't get out, you feel like you're. I mean, personally, I've had myself come out of my body, but my head was stuck to my physical body. Yeah, I've heard that. And basically, it's telling me they're they're telling you that you're too into. I mean, in my case, they're telling me that I'm too intellectual. So I had to learn to cultivate my mind and my heart so that I can learn to get out. So it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean you may have a blockage. It could more pertain to uh, they're teaching you that you have attachments that you need to overcome. The greatest obstacle is your own ego, your own uh, mind. So when you overcome your mind by developing meditative reflection, fikrat, as we mentioned in uh, Arabic, then uh, you will be, learn to behold the invisible realm of the spirit, as the Sufi master taught. So control your mind throughout the day, and then astral projection becomes easy. Yeah, because that's like what I'm really trying to focus on. I mean, I've astral projected a couple times before, but it was more for like self-pleasure, like going over to like, you know, places like, I've been to New York and stuff like that, you know, just seeing sure. places I haven't seen before. And then it wasn't until I started reading books that, you know, talking about the eternal worlds and the masters and the White Lodge and all these places you can go to. So, but yeah, like you said, I feel like there's something that's like keeping me here that's not letting me. Meditate on that and then you will know. So Paul, other than mantras for protection, it also has these other qualities, right? I mean, as far as making the connection, OBE, in other words, it facilitates OBE, I believe you said. Yes. Because the mantra when, helps you control your mind. It also activates psychic energy, which you can use to defend yourself, or you can use it to uh, have spiritual experience. So there's many functions for the, the mantra. Mostly, we say it's to control your mind. So many mantras for that, um, for protection. I mentioned one in the beginning. I used one in the, in the practice we did, which is called Fons Alpha. Uh, there's many in this tradition that you can use. Yeshua, uh, Inri, you can conjure by the name of Yorke, Bauhe, etc. Why does he teach that Ia Oua different in every book? Like, you just did a different version, and like in different books, he teaches it with different consonants on the ends of it. Yes. Because there's different, there's, uh, those, different, those different ways of mantralizing, you can, uh-huh. uh, he explains in the books what they do, what those consonants do. Oh. But uh, there's the different ways of mantralizing, uh, whether it's chis, chas, chos, or you say chis, chas, chos, or inri, enre, onru, unra, anra. There's the different ways of working with mantra. Now, you may have an affinity from one or the other. You've got to listen to your heart in terms of what you feel that's going to benefit. And I would say study the book, the books, and um, they will explain to you the purposes usually. For okay. what the mantras are for, but he gave many varieties because humanity has many needs. Uh, one person may work well with Om Masi Padmeyum, another person may work need to work with Iao, or some other person may need to work with Ram Io, which is the Divine Mother. So different mantras for different purposes and for different needs, okay. and we're always going to be working between different mantras uh, according to our needs. I would sure love to find out, but please don't now because I'm getting to an overload uh, what the difference is between uh, the needs of the people during the age of uh, Pisces and the age of Aquarius. Uh, but please not now. I, I really can't handle it. Um, if 
uh, I hope it's not a rude way to ask a question. But the other thing I w I've been waiting to ask is, uh, please do a simplicity service for me. I understand that the two illustrations you had at the five centers on the right and the Kabbalah, uh, the specific spheres, it was an attempt to relate each of the five centers in the body to a center in the Kabbalah. Uh, it escaped me which particular ones on the body sure. relate to which particular ones in the Kabbalah. Could you please? Sure. A very simplistic. Now, I'll give you the simple way, but it's actually you can you can relate the different spheres in different ways. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you the, I'm gonna give you a I'm just gonna give you a, a introductory way. So, Netzach is the mind. Relates to the intellectual center. Relates to our intellect. We have the emotional body, Chod, relating to the emotional center. And then we have Yasod, relating to we could say motor. Instincts and sex, so that's we say that's really one brain, one one uh, conglomerate. Motor instinct and sex, we we say is one brain. We could say it's one center with different aspects. And Malkuth is just our body. What it's how we manifest our uh, our mind and our uh, our emotions and our physicality. So we got the one soul, uh, So we got the uh, cell thing for motor instinct and sex covers three. And the other two cover the other two, so... If you feel overwhelmed, the thing is, uh, we have the books available. And for you to go deeper into this, I would suggest study the books. Suppose and take your time. I get all of them by buying the full collection, but having them is one thing, but getting to read all of them is another. Ta Each time I read a book, somebody tells me, you know, you should read this other book because the answer to all your questions are in there. Well, it's like this guy puts together pieces of the puzzle, now he gives the whole thing. The thing is that when, you stu when we study... We had the balance being in knowledge, as we mentioned. Read a little, meditate a lot. Meditate on what you read. So take a book. I would say, I, I typically recommend uh, Revolutionary Psychology. It explains these different centers and the path of self-observation in depth. Now, you, uh, when you read a book, you should study it line by line or even chapter by chapter and then meditate on what you read and reflect on what you've studied. So that way you can uh, go deep into this. And I would say, take your time with the books. Don't rush. Because if, if you eat too fast, you can get indigestion. Like I said in the beginning, too much uh, knowledge creates intellectual confusion. Well, I already got that. <laughs> now, uh, the way that we balance that is by comprehending what we read. Because we can read many books and not have any experiences. But if we read the books in, in, in moderation, in balance with our practice, which is going to be individual to ourselves, then we learn to develop, we develop comprehension and the ability to experience the things we're discussing. And then knowledge and being united establish comprehension, which is real faith when you really know something from your heart and it ceases to be something abstract or vague. It's something really concrete and practical. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? 
Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.